0: Hey there, it's Timmy Manor, and welcome to The Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Now, usually I have my partner in crime, my co-host, Benny Little, in the studio with me. A bit, yeah, it's a a late one tonight. We've got a friend joining us from the UK, so he's had to tap out, but I'll be holding the fort, don't you worry, I've got this covered. Um, The Spirit of Sport, our special guest this week, I'm very excited to have him. We've been chasing him for a couple of weeks now. Uh, After making his debut back in 2008, our we're going to play over 235 games of rugby league across a 15-year career uh, and survived with his hair looking strong. Uh, he played at clubs like Wigan, Parramatta and Salford. Our guests would also go on to represent uh, England on five separate occasions. I hope that's right. Uh, and then, unfortunately, was forced to retire in 2021 due to medical reasons. But he's one of the greatest humans I've had the pleasure of playing with. Our guest on Spirit of Sport tonight is Lee Mossop. Lee, thanks for joining us, brother.
1: Oh, where is Timmy? How
0: are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic, mate. You were saying off air just a bit about the sun, so ha- tell me about the sunny England at the moment. How's the uh, three minutes of sunshine? Oh,
1: it's class, mate. It's 18 degrees. I'm just in a car park now. Everyone's walking around with no tops on, smiling. We'll get a week of this. And
0: wait, 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 wait. 18 degrees and oh, people are with okay. no tops?
1: It's a different heat, Timmy. So, obviously, I was with you last week and it was what? 19 degrees and everyone had jumpers on. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know what it is. I need to find this out. When it's like 17, 18, 18, it's red hot.
0: Is it because, Is it different over there, or is it because they're just so used to the cold that 18 seems like a hot day for them?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if i some way something to do with the ozone. Like you, lot haven't got one anymore, have you? Where? Oh, <laughs> uh, <here> <laughs> i <don't know>. stuff?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, mate. That's a, that's above my pay grade. My job here is just to chat to some of the legends in sport, uh, mate. Let, let's talk about your journey, mate. Tell me about rugby league in in of England. How did you get involved? How did you start playing rugby league as a kid?
1: Um, I just followed my older, older brother, uh, so I'm from up in Cumbria, which is north north of England. It sort of borders borders Scotland. Yep. Um, and where I'm from, Whitehaven, it's probably it's probably one of the only places in the UK where rugby league's actually the number one sport. It's just it's just what you do. You just you get accustomed to um, an amateur club early doors, and uh, like I said, I used to go watch my brother most weeks, and then uh, I just naturally followed. So I think I started playing around four or five year old. Yeah, wow. Um, just loved it. yeah, just loved
0: it. And were you always in the forwards, or is it? Was there a once upon a time you weren't a forward?
1: No, no, I've always been a forward team. I used to be um, a prolific back rower. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Maguire uh, joined Wigan and he just said, listen mate, he said, you can't pass and you've not really got any footwork so you're playing front row from now on. And That was it, that was my back row days, uh, cut short.
0: Did uh, did Madge ever um, train when he was your coach? Did he train in the gym there?
1: Yeah, mate, he was a he was a lunatic. Yeah, I got... yeah. I think at the time he had he had a bad knee then, and you'd come in most mornings, and he'd be sprinting on a treadmill like limping <laughs> like bad. and you'd get up and you wouldn't be able to walk all day. Uh...
0: And then you
1: come in the following morning he'd be doing it again. He was just he was a lunatic.
0: I was in um Canberra overnight oh, on, Mond- on Monday. Cool. And um he he goes, oh, you saying the night. I'm like, yeah. He goes, alright, tomorrow morning, 5am, went to gym. And I'm like. Oh. Yeah, so, and mate, he's still got it. He's a machine. he's he's ripping in. He's lifting the same weights as everyone else. Like this guy's a lunatic. But uh it's good. Oh to... no,
1: well, we, him. we had a we had a reunion in October, the 2010 squad who won the uh, grand final here. Yeah. And uh, and Madge organised it, and I remember giving him a hug, and I couldn't believe how how, how solid he was still. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, a
0: he's a machine. Now you are so you, speaking of imagine and Wigan, you are, you spent some time together. Um, what was that time like at, in, in your stage of your career? It was early in your career as well.
1: Yeah, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. He um, was just he was he was a coach. I think I, I, a lot of the time, I, what I think with players is it, a lot of it comes down to to look if you're in the right environment with the right coach, you can go on to have an unbelievable career, or vice versa, if you're one of the best players, but you're not in the quiet environment that that you need, then the the, the opposite can happen and you don't go on. But for me at that time, I, I'll admit it, was, I never had an unbelievable offload. I didn't have great feet. I was just... My game now, when I reflect on it, it was just all about hard work. I, I trained. I'd like to think I trained as hard as anybody. Yep. Um, and Madge, Madge just saw the Madge saw the um, the good in that. He just said, "Listen, if you work that hard every week for me, you make all your tackles. You'll play every week." Where the year before that, I had a coach where, don't get me wrong, he was just which is good now. Again, in hindsight, he was really loyal to his older players, yeah. so I remember I'd get put in against St. Helens on a Good Friday game, uh, which over here is massive, Wigan St. Helens on a Good Friday, it's like one of the best games you can be involved in, and I, I got man of the match, I was 18 year old, got man of the match, really? I didn't play again, yeah, I got, didn't play again for another 6-7 weeks, Right. because he was loyal to the old rowers, which again when you get to that point in your career you respect too yeah where Madge just said nah that nah, that's how i operate you 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 train hard every day, you play well at the weekends, you make your tackles, you play every week and that was unbelievable for me um so that that just massively that took my game to a new level uh under Madge, I played every week if not yeah most weeks if not every week I got first selection for uh for England I got picked for England under Madge yeah, one silverware. So, he, like I said earlier, he he's the best coach
0: for me by by a long way. Mate, it's interesting you say that about the first coach that you played under because I had a similar journey where I was only young. So, as a front rower, you kind of expect to be waiting your turn, but you also get itchy feet because at that age, you start the guys that you would have played junior reps or you know junior academy with would have started playing super league yeah. at different teams. So you're seeing them all start to pop up and start getting their crack and sometimes you're thinking when's it my turn when's it my turn how, how did you find that process or that part of your career where you're still a kid but you know you can handle it and you obviously can because you got man of the match and then you watch your friends playing and debuting how does it feel just to be back in, in the lower grades waiting a turn
1: yeah yeah, you probably, itchy feet probably the one. I, I was never one of those who went in and you, you, you'll know what I'm, I'm talking about here, Tim, You get some who go really outspoken and then they'll be speaking up in meetings saying, no, I should be playing, or they're going to the head coach when, listen, I need to be playing, I'm playing better than him. I was never one of those. I was very, I was almost just, again, it, it was my dream. Wigan, I supported since I was four years old, so I. Again, in hindsight, I was probably just happy to be there, and I was happy to wait my turn. But it was really when I started playing well in those games. Like it wasn't like I was playing a lower league team. I was playing against the best over here in one of the the highest intensity games. What we get over here, and I was playing well. Where I started thinking, and, and other people were noticing it. But I said, you need to be playing week in, week out now. Um, yeah. And that's when you, again, Nathan Brown. Nathan Brown had just came to Huddersfield at the time. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit different. Obviously. We do a lot of loan deals, so young younger blokes who aren't necessarily getting a crack in the first team yeah. at their own club. They'll go out and loan to clubs. And Nathan Brown said, listen, for me, you should be playing every week. I want you to come, come to Huddersfield. So, he, again, he took me to Huddersfield on loan. I played every week for Super League. I was playing really, really well. And then Wigan said, oh, no, we want you back now. They brought me back. And then I think I played one game, played really well, and then I didn't play again for the rest of the (laughs) season. So it was probably probably at that point where I just started getting a little bit itchy feet and a little bit frustrated. But um, like I said, I didn't have to wait too long. Literally, the next season, Michael Maguire took over. um, And luckily in pre-season, I was able to show him how hard I was willing to work. Um, And then that's where I I really, really... um, Sort of kicked on in my career.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And was it, what year was it you guys won? It was it 2010. What year did you win the comp?
1: Yeah, two. So 2009, uh, we narrowly avoided relegation. Yeah. Um, just missed out on relegation, and then 2010, Madge took over, didn't sign a single player, and we won the comp.
0: Wow. Which speaks.
1: Yeah, speaks volumes. Of him. 2011. Yeah. We won the Challenge Cup final. Uh, what what so? Too, yeah.
0: What? Where do you enjoy more? the 'cause because obviously Super League's one everyone works hard to achieve, but the Challenge Cup everyone tells me the buzz around that, especially the week leading into it, is crazy. Which one did you enjoy winning more?
1: Yeah. Um. Probably the Challenge Cup, mate.
0: Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for the listeners yeah, that it, don't know much about the difference, so Super League everyone is it's kind of like I guess the NRL of of England where you, you play a season competition that lasts you know six six months, but yeah. The Challenge Cup, it's it's almost like any, it's yeah you can have a second and third division team playing against a Super League side, and eventually they kind of it's a knockout comp. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's like the equivalent of the FA Cup in the Premier League. So every every side gets entered, even amateur sides get entered early stages, uh, and then it's a knockout comp. So you you can literally you could end up playing against an amateur side. Yeah. and then just that yeah, that knockout comp, and then the the ultimate. You end up at Wembley playing in the Challenge Cup final.
0: Gee, that'd be awesome. But
1: for me, that was that's something that I'd done. So it's almost like a pilgrimage. So from like five, six, seven year olds, yeah. I remember going down on the train from Whitehaven. It whatever five, six hours on the train. We'd go down to London, spend the weekend there watching Wigan playing them. Uh, Wigan were there nearly every year. Uh, so for me, I just. That one was for me. Don't get me wrong, the grand finals amazing because it's like you guys over there. It's just the it's the pinnacle of well, it's twelve months, twelve months of yeah. work. And, um, so that that again, in its own right, is amazing. It, it is really close, but just for me, I reckon the Challenge Cup pips it. It's
0: um, it's yeah, it's such a special achievement because you know it's the hype, the excitement, and people that even don't go for those teams. Don't necessarily have to go. They it, just fans go to watch that game. Um, how yeah. did you, how did you end up? So you had success over there at Wigan. How did you end up in the NRL?
1: Um, so I actually I nearly ended up at the Bulldogs in 2010. Um, Peter Mull, again when when I was in that sort of transition where I had a coach where I wasn't playing, Madge took over, and Peter Mull Holland.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, He
1: came in for me. And, yeah, uh, and Madge at the time. I said, Listen, I love you to stay um but I do understand that that's your sort of if you do wanna test yourself, he said, I'll I'll let you go with open arms but he said I want you to stay. Uh yeah. and at the time I just said, You know what, I've I've wanted a coach like this for so long where it's it's basically down to me whether I play so I say it's probably too early so I'll leave it. And then uh two thousand and thirteen, um Parramatta. It was Ricky Stewart at the time. Yep. I've just been playing. Uh, I, again, we just 2013. We won the double, so we won. That was my ultimate year. So we won the Challenge Cup. Then we won the Grand Final. Then I was playing for the World Cup in the World Cup for England. And uh, Rick, Pete Nolan and Ricky Stewart uh, signed me to, to Parramatta. And then, uh, obviously, sadly, before I got there, Ricky had left to go Canberra. Um, but yeah, that again, I love that experience. It, it didn't go to plan, as 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 you know, Timmy. I played, I think it's three games all in all with injuries. But I absolutely yeah. loved it, just getting out of my comfort zone, leaving England. Me, and my my wife, we had our first child there, little Eden. Uh, so I absolutely loved it.
0: And and how like you know you and Chloe obviously being away from on the outside of the world from your family, um, and you going through some frustrating times in your in your professional career. How did, how did you take that time of your life in terms of, you know, raising a child and, and being, you know, stuck on outside the world?
1: Um, it, it was tough. It was tough. But do you know what? I, I Again, I loved it. I was used to being away. So I moved away from home, albeit only two and a half hour drive away to move to Wigan. Yeah. I was used to being away from home. But that didn't really daunt me. Um, and I don't know what whether it, whether it was with my shoulders I I finished my career having 11, 11 recons on my right shoulder full reconstruction uh, on my right shoulder that's
0: crazy man
1: and I think I know I think because I started having those I was having I think I'd already had 3 or 4 by the time I was 21 or 22 yeah so that almost just become the norm for me and I don't know people say like mentally tough or whatever I think that's all I knew so I just got to, I'd dislocate my shoulder, I'd get it put back in, I'd see a surgeon Monday morning, like again, that's lucky in itself, if you're just Joe Public, you have to wait four yeah, or five months yeah, to see a surgeon.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd, I'd see him Monday morning and say, yeah, you've done this, you need a reconstruction, it'll be six months rehab, do that and then you'll be able to play again. So I'd literally just get on with it. At the time, I can remember, I was always embarrassed, I, no, people don't realise I had that many,
0: yeah.
1: because I was embarrassed. Uh, I used to hate the word injury-prone used to make my blood boil. Yeah. So I'd sometimes, I'd, I'd tell the club, can you not put this out in the press, please? Just tell them that I've I've tore my hamstring, I'll be back in four weeks, and then by yeah. that time comes the season's over anyway. And that's what I did, and I just got on with it. But I do remember I'd never, ever trained. I'd never trained as hard in my life, and I was never as fit as I was when I got to Parramatta. Yeah. I really wanted to... Like all the other players who had been there at the same time or before me, the Burgesses, for example, mm. they went over and they basically put the English forwards in particular on the map and I wanted to replicate that. So just before I got to Parramatta, I was on the stag do uh, wrestling with a mate of mine, Scott Taylor, who's at Hull, uh, and dislocated my shoulder there. Yeah. So I had to ring I had to ring Parramatta before I'd even landed in Australia and just say, listen, I've... This has happened, I've dislocated my shoulder. So I had to get surgery before I landed, uh, before I went out to Australia. I had the surgery, landed, and for seven months, uh, I just, I literally had dedicated myself. I flogged myself. I was
0: yeah.
1: I was that fit. Got back, played three games, and then my other shoulder, which I'd never had trouble with, dislocated, and that, that was probably the first one that I really, it was tough, just because of how much I'd, I wanted to, play well over I, there I remember that was uh, Was
0: that in Melbourne yeah yeah Melbourne
1: he was literally a nothing tackle I was at marker yeah I saw the hooker about to scoop went to get him he just dislocated just yeah,
0: I, saw. So, I remember seeing you so in, the, in the change rooms well, yeah. after the game and I've never like I've felt so sick in my stomach because we are obviously seen how hard you worked to get back from that first injury and you, you know when you get an injury like no one's really sure exactly what's how bad it is but your face said it at all and it felt so like sick for you because I was like this poor guys worked yeah. that hard Um but it creates a bit of resilience like we've got a lot of players that come on this show and they talk about their careers and they say when you're injured or when you're dropped or when you do know the have contract there's, there's parts of your career where it tests you because you feel like you're on the outside Um do you feel like being yeah. being through that made you more resilient in life outside of football so like you can handle things that life threw at you
1: yeah 100% Yeah, 100% like even now like Things just don't bother me. Where, like, I've just been with for a coffee, coffee. Then with a couple of mates, and they were saying, "Oh, this is bothering me. This is bothering me." And little stuff where I, you now realise that they're, they're irrelevant. That they'll pass. It's just part of life. And I think tough times, especially like that, I had a wife who was massively homesick. I was having to sort of comfort her every day for the ten months we were there. We just had a little girl. It was our first kid. We were we were basically just making it up as we went we didn't know what we were doing and times like that 100% the resilience and I speak quite often on that now where I'm lucky enough to be sort of trying to help young players coming through uh, with the the player management and having lived through that now and having them injuries I I hopefully can pass some little bit of wisdom what I may have picked up onto them and hopefully that helps them because you just you realise I I don't know what you're like Timmy but you, you Certain things in life, what would have bothered you, you you, you quickly realise that they're, that completely irrelevant and that in the grand scheme of things, they they do not matter. And I definitely think it's those sort of times where that's what sort of made me realise that and makes me m- that little bit more durable. I reckon.
0: Yeah, I think that's one thing we're lucky at to be athletes. It's lessons like that you learn pretty early. I think a lot of people learn that lesson later in life, in their 50s and 60s, and they they finally get to the point where they stop caring or they stop holding on to the stuff that used to get them upset but I think as athletes you go through so much of an emotional roller coaster that by the time you retire you've you've taught yourself to realize what you shouldn't shouldn't care about um you know even stuff like now like yeah. I know people even in business where if there's a a small article in the paper that mentions their business in a negative light or even not negative but just like a nothing article they'll freak out about it and they they can't sleep <laughs> I remember thinking and like some of that like media for me now like someone can write the biggest article I just know that tomorrow everyone's going to move on um, so it's just yeah. yeah little things like that that I feel you can just kind of power through um, You so you go I back
1: to go to me. I probably know this late I was like that like I, I honestly I've been retired now for nearly two years Yep. and I honestly reckon now even just in that two years, I've completely changed my outlook and perspective on things even then.
0: Yeah. I
1: reckon if I was to go back playing that, I'd be a completely different player. Like, uh, even, we still, even in my last season. Yeah, so in my last season, I'd have been 32, and I'd get, like, a little calf tear or just something which was tiny, maybe three, four weeks. Mm. And I'd be getting so stressed about trying to get back for the team and... I'd be, I'd say, I'd like, I'd push, I knew how I could sort of manipulate the physios, and I'd say, well, rather than doing it next Monday, why don't we do it now, because that'll save us four days, and I'd push it and push it, Yeah. and I'd put myself back another two weeks. I was obsessed with trying to get back as quick as I could, and again, I still hated being injured, where I think now, if I'd have just relaxed with that and just said, oh, do you know what, it's three, four weeks, it, It's it's nothing. It will pass that quick. I'd have been, I'd have played way more than what I did, but I was still always obsessed, even at that later stage in my career. Yeah. Where I looked at people and they were all happy. Some, you know, it's like some of your teammates
0: are almost happy to be injured, knowing that they don't have to play with. Ah, oh, some put out, their hands to up their to sit out. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and that used to infuriate man. Even now, I just think, just why didn't I just let it go, just like. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I probably noticed that late. It's probably the last two years. I've done loads of reflection on Like the whole time I played, I reckon I watched four games of rugby. I hated watching rugby league.
0: Yeah, all the same. Where
1: now, even now, I actually enjoy watching it again. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan again and I can enjoy rugby and I think, do you know what, if I played now, I'd be a completely different player.
0: That's great because it takes a lot of retired players years and years to get to that stage where they enjoy the league again because they get over it so much that they just want to get away from it. And I was a bit like that too, but I'm back. I'm like you now. I'm, I'm at a stage where I, I love watching it as a fan and it's good just to not feel any connection or emotion about it. Um, but the other thing is it, it's hard to learn because when you're in that bubble of, of professional sport, you just think that's all everyone's talking about. So if I have a bad game… Everyone's at the office the next day talking about how bad I was and the error I made, and and if someone you know, if you lose a game, everyone's talking about how bad the club is and how bad the team is, and you just obsess this this false narrative in your head that this bubble is all everyone cares about. And now that I've plucked myself out of that bubble and gone into the real world, you realise people, people people don't care that much. Like I know I know we've got listeners right now that are listening and they, and they love it, and it, you know whether the, their team wins or loses, it does make or break their weekend. But at the end of the day. They're going back to their their job. They're going back to their office. They're going back to their family. Like it's not doesn't change their world, um, and it's hard to see that when yeah. you're in the bubble. Like a lot of people told me, like that had retired, telling me that saying, "Hey, people don't care," um, but it's hard to see that because yeah. when you're in it, you're just thinking that's you know it's just, this is the world. This is all. That, and I used to love going overseas. I used to go to America or go anywhere, you know, Africa, and I come back and you just feel how small and insignificant our world is, our bubble. That when you're in it, you just yeah. you, you think you're a superstar way, and you get this yeah. ego, but then you get out of you like oh. It's not that big a deal.
1: Yeah. Well, that's probably one of the good things about over here as well. Obviously, we've been there last last week. Rugby league is absolutely huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is um, it is big here. Over there, it's a bit different. It's um, not as big, but there's still north of England. They're still obsessed with it. I want to ask you, you, you went back to north of England after you left Parramatta. Actually, let me ask you one more question about Parramatta because I know this was an interesting question. Uh, so, Ricky leaves when you sign... How does that work? Does Pete Nolan or Ricky or someone—is there someone at the club that kind of reaches out to? Hey, just giving you a heads up. Do you get? Do you get told anything, or is it just you find out in the news like everyone else? Um,
1: to be fair, mate, I just—I I can remember I just read it in the media like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and then that was it. Then no, I landed in in Parramatta, Australia, and Brad Arthur, my new coach, didn't speak to me for six months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I, was, I was hoping you'd mention that. <laughs> oh, so yeah, that, that's the thing. You sign as a marquee player. I think a lot of fans assume that you're getting this special because, you know, any other sport, like or any other team, you you sign a marquee player, you'd be rolling the red carpet out. You've won a couple of comps over there. Um, you know, if there's any changes, you'd think that the club would say, hey, mate, just letting you know, this is about to get, this news is about to break. New coach is coming. But yeah, it's it's funny. A lot of fans don't realise that you would have just found out in the media like everyone else, um, and a lot of fans no. probably wouldn't have known that Brad didn't speak to you for the first five, six months. But um, it's just, yeah. it's just a yeah.
1: Part yeah. you know, of what I like to, I always, I've always done the same. I don't really like. I could have easily, even when I was leaving. I remember when I was leaving. There was a lot of Parramatta fans, and rightly so. If I was looking from the outside in. I got a load of abuse shit for leaving. Yeah. Where I just kept quiet. I didn't respond to any. I didn't put anything in the press. I just said, listen, it is. It's just not worked out. Where yeah. I landed in Parramatta. I had my new head coach, and he literally. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating here. He didn't say a Didn't shake my hand for five months. Yeah. I just trained on my own in the gym every morning. <clears throat> got myself back fit fit as a fiddle, played three games, my first three, two games, were actually good, they actually started saying, we want you to extend your contract, mm. um, and then my third game, came against Parramatta, and a few days later, uh, Brad spoke to me and said, listen, um, you've got injured again, we- we'd like you to leave. Wow, wow. <laughs> and I just thought, right, okay, man, I've got two years, I thought, yeah, I'll go, I was, you know what I mean, sort of, maybe whether it be my ego, or being stubborn, I just thought, I'm not staying somewhere, where I'm not wanted, so, yeah, it's a rather okay, Al. and that was it. And I just didn't put anything in the press where a lot of fans probably presumed I've come here. I barely played. I've I've took that money out of a young Parramatta kid's pocket, and and I've left. Where it, it literally wasn't the case. I wanted nothing more for my time to be at Parramatta, to go yeah. to be successful. Because ultimately, they they were the ones who made me realise my dream. Yeah. They paid a transfer fee for me. They took me to NRL, they give me my debut in the NRL, which I'll always be grateful for, but it just, as life goes, some things, they don't always work out like you want them to, so. Mm. um, But yeah, I just had to left, and and I left, and I left.
0: You and I have spoke about it as well in terms of, you know, you end up taking very little money considering what they owed you for the next couple of years, and that's a part I guess fans don't even realise, the fact that, you're right, people might have looked at that from the outside and thought, this guy's come here, got injured and taken the money and gone, whereas... If anything, you've probably been gypped by the deal because you end up, whether it be ego or whatever it is, but you decided, okay, you don't want me, I'll get out of here, and you just took whatever money was on the table and yeah. left. Um, it's yeah. that's, that's another part of the story, I guess. People don't understand the fact that you know you you ended up costing yourself financially to make the move, but you, you did it just because you know you've you didn't enjoy the experience under that certain environment.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like I said, it's no, it's no secret. The the money in the NRL is superior to here in England. So yeah, if I'd have stayed for that three year, that free year contract which I signed, I'd have been probably financially set up for a long, long time. Where I again naively, naively or stubbornly, whatever, I just said, right, if you know want me, I'll go, and I left. Yeah, I took a huge pay cut to go back to Wigan, but not only that. The two surgeries that I, I had to have—they were—they were probably two of the biggest that I ever had. I had to have like bone grass taken off my hip uh, to fix my shoulders.
0: Yeah,
1: that affected me for another four or five years when I got back to England. They were, my shoulders were absolutely shot. Yeah, where again I had the repercussions the for years going by. Which, but again, I, I, it's not. I, I probably sound like I'm a bit. Um, I don't know the word, thing, That's what I say. I forget words when I talk now. Uh, probably a bit bitter. Where I, I'm not I absolutely. I love my time there. I met some amazing people. Like for instance, the the,
0: the work that I'm doing now. Yeah. I
1: actually, work with Pete Nolan,
0: who signed me. Small world. At Paramount. Small world. He was blog. Yeah, it's such a small world. He's an amazing human.
1: I get to work with him now, day in day out. Another guy, Joe, Joe Weeby. I've been friends with him now for. 10 years, he was one of the first people who helped me when I got there and introduced me and mm. to people and uh, again, I'm working with him and it, it's, uh, that's a huge huge plus that came out of that trip there, that would have never happened, I'd have never met these people if I didn't go there, so I'm, I'm still loads of fond memories of being over there and yourself and Mitch Allgood, we had a coffee last week when I was there, that's <laughs> 10 years since we last spoke to each other and we still can meet up, have a coffee and a cake and have a hug and it's that's the yeah that's the one of the great things about playing professional
0: sport. Yeah, the, the friendships you make, it's incredible. Like, and I and I'm like that. I can sometimes not speak to someone for six or seven years, and then you pick up the phone, and it's like it was like you were with them yesterday. Nothing's changed. Yeah. It's just you can still have the same same bands, our same jokes. Um, tell me a bit uh, more about what you're doing. So you, you're now doing uh, work as a as a player manager or an agent. How how you finding that? You've yeah. obviously experienced it um, as a player having a manager. Um, so you kind of understand the player side, of the point of view. Um, and I'm just thinking now going through the list of, of agents in, in, in Australia, there wouldn't be a whole lot of ex-players. A lot of them, um, yeah, a lot of them haven't played in the NRL. I know there's probably a handful that have, I could be missing a few. I know Baitan Asa has, but does that give you an advantage as, as an ex-player, how, do, how does that help you in your job in terms of help, helping these young kids achieve their dreams?
1: I'd like to think so, yeah. Uh, probably, I first started thinking about being this when I when I got to Australia. Weirdly enough, um, yeah. The agent that I had in the UK, I'd probably meet up with him. Maybe if I sign a three-year deal, I probably would not speak to him for another two and a half years until it's time, <laughs> time to reach. Oh, well, I thought and, that
0: hilarious because. Uh, I I told you how I not speak to him for six years and pick it up like was yesterday. But when you're paying someone as an agent for them not to speak to you for two or three years between contracts, is is insane. Yeah,
1: that's just that's just what it was. And then I got yep. to Australia and a uh, guy Wayne Beavis. The Beavis. Uh, he was just he was amazing for me. Like I, I caught up with him as well when I was there last week in yep. uh, in Gold Coast, and it was just great to see him. And he was so so good for me. He helped me out. Massively, the whole time I was there, yeah, um, and that's probably where I got my first taste of. Do you know what? This is what it should be like. So, and then, like I say, fast forward nine years, I have to retire. Joe approached me saying, "Listen, some of my players now are wanting to, um, they wanted to try the UK. He said, you 'You're one person in the UK who I trust.'" Uh, that would be able to look after them, and it's just worked perfect. So any of the NRL players coming over here, I can help. Yeah. And vice versa. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of my players are really, really young. They're just starting out in the careers, so 17, 18, 19, 20 year old. Uh, so I just sort of know what you want. Sometimes as a player, you just you just want a bit of reassurance. Do you know what? This is what's happening. Yeah. Coming off yeah. The contract. Let me speak to these clubs. And mm. just to be kept in the loop all the time, and exactly, that's just it's just little bits like that where you w- you probably wouldn't know how much he actually stresses a player when it's contract time. Where just being listen, I've just just so you know, I've just spoke to this club; they're really really keen. Uh, blah blah blah. I'll keep you in touch, Susan, so or anything else, I'll let you know. And then meet them every couple of weeks. I've just met a, a young front rower now, Harvey Hill. Yeah, he's making. His, he's basically following my path. So he's again from Whitehaven up in Cumbria. Front rower got signed by Wigan. He's make he's playing tonight for the first team. And I just had breakfast with him, and I just, I just love being able to sort of help and guide these players who are just starting off because it, it's just a massive passion. I'm getting little goosebumps. To tell us. I love that. That's now, awesome. Yeah. I do. I just love it. I absolutely love him, Yeah. Um, and I am. I'm dead fortunate to be able to
0: do it. That's so good. And and Joe Weeby, I love what he's created at Ignite Sports as well because. The thing about a lot of play agencies, they rely on on the players' income to survive. I I think that's a bit of a dangerous thing. So when that, when people are in that position, that like they're relying on your money to feed their families, I think that's when uh, you know sometimes play, uh, agents can put their own agenda or their own um you know their own well being in front of the players because they're trying to figure out what's best for them and yeah. you know, a bit of a power play. We've seen it so many times in the, in, in the game where play where play agents will stack a team or figure out. How can I get more pool and power in the game? And it's not so much about what's best for the player, it's about how they can get score points. Um and plays are just, I guess, yeah. in the end, they're just a bit of like a, a chess piece in their game. Um, but someone like Joe Weeby, who's obviously gone out, um, you know, he's he's made plenty of of uh of money in different um projects, obviously, as a developer and different um businesses involved in. Someone like that who comes in purely from a from a clean point of view of just wanting to help athletes or help people individually, you know, be their best. I think that's really encouraging, and I'd love to see you know more of that in the future, where people, um, you know, don't really rely on the income. They 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 want to actually help from a great place, and that's where you're coming in as well. Like you. You've got your fortune to be in a position yeah. where you're not begging for money to be able to survive and feed your family. You, you've you're comfortable, and because of that, you can then be the best version of yourself for the kids. Um, and yeah. a lot of people wouldn't know, but you also, you've proved yourself as a business person even before you started doing this. While you're playing, uh, you opened up a cafe, maybe two. Do you want to just, just quickly touch on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so again I did that whilst I was still playing. Got back from Australia, I'd been to all these little coffee shops in in Australia and I absolutely I thought me and my wife said we'd love to have this and then me and a couple of my mates, Liam Farrell and Sean O'Loughlin, we were gonna get one together and last minute, um they they couldn't do it for whatever reason, so I said, You know what, I'm just gonna I've got this much money, I'll offer it. If I can't if I don't get it, I don't get it and and I got it. Yeah. Um obviously it was a steep learning curve. He he struggled for a few years, but now they're they're really, really good. Again, I I love being able to dip in and out of that and um, help. Again, a lot of my staffs have maybe 20, 25 staff who I get to help with. I I love just, just being the friend as well. Uh, So I had that, but again, just, just to go back to Joe, I've just spent sort of two weeks with him and he's just, he's just, the best way, he's just an amazing person. Mm. Like, being there with him for two weeks and seeing the amount of players who call him, asking for a bit of advice or for a bit of help, and he just loves helping people, and this was no different. Um, he had a sort of, a load of players who he's sort of helped here and there on little bits, and that's. I think that's basically how Ignite Sports started. They said, we 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 want you to look after us, and he's just he just does it from a completely clean space and, and I, again I'm just really really fortunate if I was to want to do this on my own which I did it would probably take me four or five years to be able to sort of make any sort of, of living off it where he just he's helped me out massively he's employed me as a member of staff and he just said you, you've got two rules you only help good people Yep. and you don't get too many so he said, if you want to give a genuine service where you can help these people and have an actual effect on people where you can help them with their lives and financially, he said, you can't have that for too many people. So he said, there, you're only two rules, and off you go. And he's just given me full rein. I'd be able to set up over here. And like I said, when you're coming from that sort of space, I think people naturally pick up on it. And uh, I'd like to think I'm, I'm doing a decent job for the, the, the plays that I've got already.
0: How rare is that though? Like, <laughs> it's it's not every day you hear a man just say, don't get too many. It's it's like usually the opposite. Like they throw their net, try to sign 200 kids, and hope that five come off. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. that that in, that in itself says a lot about Joe and the person he's. And you're right. Like you know, I, I leaned in, on him a lot when I was playing. And there's a lot of players that um you know, a lot, a lot of people don't realise what he does. He's a bit of a performance coach as well. So he helps players you know play their best footy. He's a very good footy brain as well. So. He knows what he's talking about when he speaks to players, and it's it's great to see. You know, I know there's a lot of guys that publicly speak about him, like James Tedesco and Daddy Cherry Evans. They're going to play in Origin yeah. on Wednesday night, so you know it's it's a pretty handy couple of players that he's got under his belt helping out. Yeah, um, yeah. So you you did a cafe and you said you learned some lessons. I reckon there's there's a lot of players that you know really struggle post football to kind of land on their feet, but starting a business, failing, getting back on the horse, succeeding, all that stuff is you learn so many lessons along the way. Do you find those lessons help you as well as being – so I talked about being a former player, helping out players now. Does being a business owner as well help you be able to give advice as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think quite often a lot of my players who are getting in touch with me and asking if I'll help them out are doing it for that reason. Like I said before, financially – over here in the UK, um, it's very, very rare you'll finish your career and be able to basically do do what you want. You'd be sort of forced to maybe go into a job that you don't necessarily want or you yeah, have to take a yeah. job just to continue to, uh, to support your family where I think a, a few of the players who have approached me saying, I like what you've done away from the field and I'd like a bit of advice on doing that. And Again, I absolutely love that. I always remember when I got to Australia, When I met Wayne Beavis and we had a bit of paper and he said, right, you're 23 year old now, fast forward 10 years, what do you want? And I I, I still say to these days, I say, I want my house paid off and I want to be able to choose what job. They were the only two things I put. I want my house paid off and I want to be able to choose what job I go into. Mm. And I I still, I do that now in my plays. When I first meet them 16 year old kids and I do that and I say, if you start planning now, you you can do that because... Unless you do that, if you stay in the UK, you're going to have to go into, you're going to have to work straight away that you retire, or you may have to go into a job that you don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. well again, I'm massively passionate on, when they finish their career, they're doing something that they want, or even better, they're set up financially where they don't necessarily have to work. Uh, and that's one of my main things what I try and guide them through straight from an early age, because even me probably I don't didn't really start doing that till I was about 24. Yeah. 25, yeah. Well, if I'd had been five years earlier, I'd have been uh, in a better place too. But yeah, um, like I said, when I first started the coffee shop, I had, I had no idea what I was doing. I tried to do everything myself, and obviously, I was a rugby player. What did I know about running a coffee shop? Where I quickly realised after probably eighteen months, two years, you just need to employ. You're basically a recruitment. Yeah. Or you just need to recruit the best people in their field. And the business will naturally succeed. And it probably took me two years and a lot of money lost till I realised that. And now Touchwood, fortunately, is doing a lot better. And um, yeah, um, I'm dead fortunate just to love
0: it. But it's so good you did that while you were playing because a lot of a lot of those lessons, like people go to a cafe, they go, I wish just start a cafe. Let's open, or oh, let's open a bar. Let's do this. They didn't realise, you know, have you know the financials of a business, the profit and loss, and all that stuff that goes into. Succeeding—it's just everyone looks at it the, the the glamorous side of running a cafe and how cool it would be if your mates could come to your, your coffee shop. Um But those lessons you learn actually help you so much in business. Even now, when you're helping professional athletes in terms of you know their career, you can actually give them advice. on this is what it looks like in the real world. This is how you can make decisions that can help you in the business world and investments. And honestly, I honestly, I'm not saying this because you're my mate. I I think I'm so I'm so glad there's people like you in the, in the industry because. You bring a level of integrity, but also a level of um, just smarts that you know you can handle yourself in the business world. But you also understand what an athlete goes through. Um, you know, if any of your athletes are going through injury, you, you're very good to be able to give them advice I what like to get through that on the other side because of your resilience. Um, you know, you can explain what it's like to win a comp. Uh, a lot of players, you know, a lot of teams and, and clubs look for someone that has that experience as a winner. Um, there's so many things that you have that it's so hard to find. Um, out there. And, and the amount of gifts you have is, is just is such a, a bonus for any young athlete coming through. So I'm um, really excited that you're doing it. We're we're out of time. And I know you've only got another 20 minutes before that sun disappears over in England. So I'm going to let you go back to that sun. Um, mate, honestly, I'm so grateful for your time. I am genuinely so excited to see this next chapter of your career because um, I've got a feeling you're going to turn this game on its head and really um, show a different a different quality of player management that um, hasn't been around before. So I'm really excited for you, mate. Uh, and once again, thanks for coming on.
1: I appreciate it, mate. Timmy, uh, I love you and good luck with whatever you do next, mate. I speak soon.